Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. You're tuned into The Source on Otago Access Radio. During this 10-week series, we'll be exploring what processes go into making the city run and what you'll need to know to be an active citizen. Each week, we'll be covering a different aspect of civic education, from the different departments and council to how to get your voice heard in local government. Tune into Otago Access Radio on Fridays at 5pm. This series will also be replayed 12pm on Sundays and 6 on Monday evenings. Podcasts are also available from www.oar.org.nz. The source is brought to you by the Dunedin Youth Council. Um, hello, my name's Nathan and I'm a member of the Dunedin Youth Council. And hi, my name is Jaden, and I'm the chair for Dunedin Young Labour. Um, we're going to uh, be your host for today's episode of The Source. This episode we'll be talking about topical and relevant issues from around the world that are, that all affect youth in some way. The topics we'll be covering are the EU re- referendum, Scotland and Northern Ireland independence, a, the US election, the Labour Green MOU, homelessness in Auckland, and refugees in Dunedin. We'll um, also be sharing our own views and opinions. We hope you enjoy. First up, we'll be talking about the EU referendum. We'll share some of the basic information, then we'll be sharing what our views and thoughts are. On the 23rd of June, the United Kingdom held a referendum on whether or not to stay in the EU, the European Union. The the Conservative Party and the Labour Party were stay, whereas UKIP, United Kingdom Independence Party, was leave. But there was one main person from the Conservative Party who was pro-leave, and it was Boris Johnson, who was the former Mayor of London. David Cameron who is the current leader of the Conservative Party, resigned after the votes were counted and announced that the UK had voted to leave the EU, with a vote percentage of 51.9% leave and 48.1% stay. As a result, David Cameron has said he will resign and step down at the September Party conference. At this point, there was only two people left in the race to become the next PM, and um, they were... Theresa May and Andrea Leadsom. But on the 12th of July, Andrea Leadsom dropped out of the leadership race to hand the leadership over to Theresa May, who David Cameron had wanted to be the next MP all along. Also, Cameron had said he would step down in September, but has now said as there is only one person left, he'll step down by the end of this week. Also, the Scottish Parliament could choose to block the bill, which would mean the UK would not leave the EU. But England has said that if they do that, it would be keeping the English in the EU against their will. But Scotland say that their people have been taken out against their will. But one thing both sides were guilty of during the campaigning 
period is lying and giving false facts. David Cameron has ruled out the idea of a second referendum on whether to rejoin the EU or not. About three days after the result was announced, over one million people said they'd made the wrong choice in voting leave, but David Cameron has said it's too late. Some of the effects are pros and cons of leaving. It's a pro. <coughs> Membership fee. Leaving the EU would result in an immediate cost saving as the country would no longer contribute to the EU budget. Last year, Britain paid in £13 billion, but it also received 4.5 worth of spending. So the UK's net contribution was £8.5 billion. That's about 7% of what the budget spends on the NHS each year. The NHS is the national health system. A con is the EU is a single market, which means no tariffs are imposed on imports and exports between member states. More than 50% of our exports go to uh, EU EU countries. Britain also benefits from trade deals between the EU and other world powers. The EU is currently negotiating with the US to create the world's biggest free trade area. Something that will something that will be highly beneficial to British businesses. Britain risks losing some of the negotiation powers by leaving the EU, but it will be free to establish its own <coughs> its own trade agreements. UKIP leader Nigel Farage believes Britain could follow the lead of Norway by having access to the single market, but not being bound by EU laws. Now England and the rest of the UK is an independent country and aren't bound by the EU laws, and the English Labour MP Kate Howey says the EU is an attempt to replace the democratic process of the people with a permanent administration in the interests of big business. A pro and con is jobs. Now it will be harder for UK citizens to get work permits in EU countries because when the UK was in the EU, it was easier to get work permits. But now it is much harder to get one, which is why it's a con. But now it will be harder for citizens of EU member states to get jobs in the UK. Uh, so more jobs will go to UK citizens. As soon as the news broke that the UK had left the EU, the British pound had dropped the lowest value since the 1970s. The effects were felt worldwide. $2 trillion was wiped off the stock exchange, the Japanese stock market dropped, as well as New Zealand's. But the financial consequences could last for at least another 10 years, if you're lucky. Northern Ireland and Scotland voted overwhelmingly to stay in the EU, while England voted to leave. If you look at that a bit more and think Scotland a few years ago had its independence vote, it just lost, but it shows that the UK is divided on these sorts of issues. If Scotland did choose to block it, that could cause a lot more problems and good, but at the end of the day, Scotland needs to do what's best for Scotland and England needs to do what's best for England. The results were very close, and if you actually look at the Google's most popular Google searches afterwards, it kind of shows how many people voted without actually knowing what they were voting for. So I bet a lot of them do wish that they had the chance to re-vote, but it's done. With David Cameron leaving, 
It's going to be really interesting to see how the dynamics of the Conservative Party go over the next few years leading into the next election. Um, so the next thing we'll be talking about is the possibility of Scotland and Northern Ireland leaving the UK. Um, Scotland has said that if it comes to it, they will hold a second independence vote. If that means they can stay in the EU, Northern Ireland has said that um, it may leave the UK and join the Republic of Ireland if that means they can stay in the EU. But on the 27th of June, Scotland's First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, left for Brussels to try and get a deal which would mean that Scotland would stay in the EU and the UK, they can only be a member of the EU if they stay in the UK. The same goes for Northern Ireland. Because the financial benefits of staying in the EU outweigh the benefits of staying in the UK. The vibe in Scotland at the moment is that if an independence vote was um, held now, that Scotland would leave the the UK, but Northern Ireland is a bit more reluctant to leave the UK, even though the financial benefits even though the financial benefits outweigh the um, others, but also the financial benefits were staying in the EU, which both Northern Ireland and Scotland will have to think about if they can't stay um, in the EU. They'll have to think about if they want to stay, if they want to leave the UK to get those financial benefits. So now we'll be talking about the US presidential election. So on November 8th this year, the US will go to the polls to decide who will be their next uh, president for the next four years out of Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. The run-up to this election has been a wild one, with allegations of law-breaking to racism. This November, America will either elect their first female president or first president with no experience in politics. First, if we look at the Democratic Party, Hillary was the one everyone expected from the beginning, but then we had Bernie Sanders. Bernie kind of changed everything. He went from having a 2% chance of getting the nomination to actually being a proper competitor for it. He really shone the light on the establishment and the difference between the rich and the poor. This is an issue that's been shown across the world from the UK to Australia and America where the people are realising the differences between the rich and poor and are now standing up to the establishment and fighting back. Um, Bernie Sanders, um, because it was, um, he had won quite a few of the um, ele- election things, he was also fighting for equal rights um, and the uh, $15 um, hourly pay. Not the minimum wage. Yeah. And... He um, kind of shone a light on politics and got, surprisingly, he got more younger people interested into politics. And I think as well, one thing that Donald Trump's done, he's, because of things he's said, he's also gotten people interested in politics, maybe not for the right reasons, but he's still got people thinking about it and talking about it. Um, so moving on from international politics, we'll move, uh, moving on to some New Zealand ones. And the big issues we'll be talking about are the Labour Greens, MIU and the homelessness in Auckland. So 
for the um, as you may know in early June the New Zealand Labour Party and Greens Party signed an MOU so what Jaden what is an MOU so an MOU is a memorandum of understanding it's a formal agreement between two or more parties companies and organisations can use MOUs so for example the Otago Polytech and OPSA we have one between us which outlines everything that we're expected to do and everything they're expected to do. It's just a way of kind of gauging, well, working together and making sure that each side's sticking up for what they're meant to do. So MOUs are not legally binding, but they carry a degree of seriousness and mutual respect, stronger than a gentleman's agreement, for example. Like This is all about getting a fresh government in. It's about joining forces. You know, Labour and the Greens are both on the left of the political spectrum, one more than the other. But at the end of the day, they both know that they need to work together to be able to change the government. And this is what they're planning to do to do it. So we know that Labour and Greens have different um, policies, but um, what happens if they can't agree on a policy? So at the end of the day, this is a mutual agreement between the two parties. The Labour Party and the Green Party, at the end of the day, are still two separate parties. They're not like the coalition in Australia. So if Labour has a policy that the Greens disagree with, then Labour will campaign on its own policy and the Greens will do the same, and vice versa. Um, So do you think that Labour Party and Green Party faithful were happy with this announcement of the MOU? I can't speak for the Greens, but I do know that there were... A lot of young members of the Green Party and the Labour Party were very happy to finally see this happen. It's something I know myself and a lot of other people have been calling for for years. You know, the left... If you think about the current parties in Parliament, you've got the National Party, you've got New Zealand First that split off from the National Party, but every other party in there split off from the Labour Party. The left is a lot more split up than the right is. So for a lot of us young ones, we've looked at this and gone, under MMP, it is impossible for us to win this next election outright by ourselves. We don't want a minority government because we know how that works. We want a majority government and we want a coalition and our best choice for that coalition to stick with what we want to do and our message is to go with the Greens. It's open for discussion. The only things really secured are... The Prime Minister and Finance Minister, everything else is open for discussion. So we're all just going to have to sit back and wait and see what comes over these next 12 months. I'm quite excited and I hope a lot of other people are and I'm looking forward to Labour and the Greens being able to show that they can form a coalition. Um, Our next topic is homelessness in Auckland. Um, Homelessness in Auckland is a big issue because the average um, weekly rent for a three-bedroom house is between $300 and $400, and the average house price is around the $1 million mark. Because of that, more and more families are having to move into their cars, emergency housing, and even staying at Marais, whose job isn't to provide housing for people, it's the government's job. 
Also, because of people living in cars, kids and adults are getting sick, and most of the state housing we have at the moment is in pretty poor condition. Um, one of the uh, one of Labor's main policies was to make it compulsory for state homes and all rental properties to be insulated. Um, I know of one story of this lady up north. She was a solo mum and needed help filling out a New Zealand housing form, and uh, she. Um, got onto the waiting list for a state house and she finally got a house and because she knew she had a roof over her head and somewhere um, for her kids she managed to go to Polytech and get a plumbing certificate and now she's had a, has a steady income and a job which shows um, what having a um, safe home and roof over your head can do. The government needs to do more about this. You know... We're a developed nation. We should not, and we're not that big either. You know, there are some countries where state, like the United States, they have states that are bigger than our entire country. We should not have people living in their cars. You know, you know, we need, and on top of that, we need healthy homes. Um, my flat is a great example. I'm about to bring a child into it, and I've been trying to get out of the lease because of it, because the place is freezing. You have to keep the heater on 24-7. It's something that needs to be brought in. We need to have insulated houses. If you think about it, if we insulate homes, we get people into homes, suddenly people are feeling better. We are able to get productivity up. We don't have as many people who are sick so they can work. We can build our economy through that. You know, That's going to help. You know, Their health, we're not going to be paying as much in the health bill every year because suddenly people are healthier. The thing is, if you look at the infrastructure of New Zealand at the moment, it's not even coping with what we have. You know, we've got a growing population. Instead of just sitting there saying, we'll do something later, you know, Labor's done it too in the past. You know, they haven't helped this housing crisis. But they need to just start doing something now. They need to stop caring which side of the political spectrum you're on and they need to start working together because this is embarrassing in a country like this. I, for one, and I know a lot of people who support it too, if our taxes have to go up a little bit, so bad. If it means that we don't have families living in cars, fine. Let's just do it. It has to be done eventually. I personally think that there needs to be something done um, and the parties need to stop saying... Are blaming it on each other and just do something to help because it isn't fair that um, young children are having to live in cars because their um, parents um, aren't making enough money to rent a house or because they or they can't get a state house because for whatever reason it isn't warm enough or it's got um, something wrong with it and it was the Kiwi dream to be able to buy your own house and now you can't really do that in Auckland. When you get a large amount of people moving from one area to another, suddenly the inflation on housing prices in that area are going to go up as well. So that's something they're really going to have to look at. I would actually go as far as saying a government should do everything in its power to get people out of Auckland, build the infrastructure of Auckland up, People can come back after that, but just get it up there.
So our last topic we'll talk about is um, the refugees um, in Dunedin. So last Friday, the Dan the Dunedin Youth Council held a meeting to talk about what different youth organisations are doing to help the, refu- the former refugee youth in Dunedin. Some of the things organisations are doing are computers in homes, free transport to events. Some of the things they would like to do is have a pool of money that former refugees can ask for an amount if they need help paying for fees because lots of them want to play football but can't because of the costs. But there have been but there have been some people who have been nice enough to help and pay for some of their fees but the refugee families don't feel comfortable um, taking um, money. So um, some of the things they said that youth could can do is just go up and say hi because the uh, social workers they want them to have friendships but they also want them to happen um, naturally not be forced. They also said for the youth counsellors to go to their school and just ask the former refugees if they would like to talk and maybe go have a coffee. They also said that the next group of refugees will find it easier to settle in as there are already former refugees here. Currently there are 49 but the next group will be around 150. So, Jaden, what are your um, thoughts on this? Raise the refugee quota. <laughs> you know, there's a huge problem going on in another part of the world. We have the ability to help. We should be doing it. Dunedin, if you think about it, yeah, some might say there's a cost when you bring somebody new into the country, but... I don't think they think about the long-term effects. You know, one, you're helping a family get a fresh start and a new life from where they've been. You know, these people will help the country in the end. You know, look how many people have been refugees, other descendants of refugees, and have done amazing things, not just in New Zealand but across the world. So I think we can do better. Dunedin is doing well, I think. You know, they're really helping. You just had to look in the octagon when all those people gathered it was really amazing. I think we just need to make them feel comfortable and fit in. We can't be continuously having a political party saying we don't want refugees, keep them out. How's that going to make them feel when they're coming here thinking they're welcomed and then they've got people saying that on the TV? So one, that attitude needs to stop. And we just need to treat them like everybody else. And just be there to support and help them like we would our own friends and family. I personally think we should um, also raise the uh, refugee quota because um, if we were having a civil war like they are over in Syria, we would expect people to be taking um, us in to help give us a fresh start in life. And these people, I, um, they want a fresh start in life, but they also don't want to have the... Um, t- tag over their head saying that they're a refugee and otherwise they'll be um, singled out. They just want to feel like they're one of us, that they're a New Zealander and also that there needs to be more done to um, help them. I think that the refugees, they'll also help our economy as well and they're, they're a friendly country where everybody had a chance and I'd just like to see us get back to that. If we isolate refugees when they come in we're just going to create more racism and more inequality in this country. We want to be doing the opposite so we need to start with just letting them fit in let them be themselves 
who cares what their religious beliefs are? Who cares what language they speak? At the end of the day, we're all human and we should all be looking out for each other. And if we can't do that, then there's a serious, serious problem. Um, well, thank you, Jared, for coming in. But um, thank you for your help and um, best wishes for the um, future. Well, thanks for letting me come along and talk. I bet you got a bit sick of my voice by now, but it's been good and thank you. You have been listening to The Source on Otago Access Radio. Tune in every Friday at 5pm for the next topic of discussion. This series will also be replayed at 12pm Sundays and 6pm on Monday evenings. The Source will also be podcast from www.oar.org. Thank you to the Dunedin Youth Council for making this series possible. Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.